Turn to James, chapter 2 with me this morning. you don't know, we're doing a um, Bible college uh, subject at the moment, Eddie and I, which is about preaching homiletics, and um, we have three messages to preach over the next three weeks, although you'll be giving two, and you may get to hear my messages two times in a row, that's okay, you might need them. James chapter 2 verse 14, I promise I'll change it a little bit for you, okay Eddie? Right. You're going to critique it, as, oh you might as well critique it twice, yeah you might as well, yeah. Let's, uh, let's read what God has to say to us this morning. James chapter 2 verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your precious word which we have in our hands this morning, the word that we can trust with our lives, indeed our eternal destiny. And we thank you this morning that your Holy Spirit is here amongst us working on our hearts. Lord, I pray that our hearts, indeed our minds, would be open to your truth this morning, that we'd be willing to take it in, that we'd learn, that we'd be attentive this morning to your truth, that we may become more like our Saviour. We might live more for him. We may risk more for him. We may glorify him more. Thank you once again for your goodness to us. And we just pray now that his name will be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. In this passage, James asks a very important question. Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can it save him? And James gives a fairly clear response to that. It's a rhetorical question, and he says, basically, no. That type of faith won't save you. Some modern-day theologians and historians, if you look at them, and I've seen them on, they, they run a few of these uh, things on SBS, they often come up on that sort of station over there, argue that James is arguing against Paul, and Paul against James, and there's some sort of dispute. So when you read God's word, there is something happening which means that God's word doesn't have integrity within itself. That Paul was somehow arguing for justification by faith, but James was saying, Paul, you're totally wrong here. It's got to do everything with works. Now, though modern scholars may have little respect for the integrity of God's word, um, we have a slightly different view, don't we? We believe that throughout all of the 66 books of the Bible that there is perfect integrity, which means that 
from the first verse of Genesis to the last verse of Revelation that it all works together and doesn't contradict itself. We believe that God's word is completely true and completely consistent from the beginning all the way through to the end. And this book is no different. Some people are scared of James. Don't be scared of James. James is a good guy. James is a good guy. He made it in the Bible. James's argument here is basically, in a nutshell, that though we are justified by faith alone, we are not, just, we are not justified by faith that is alone. Okay? Though we are justified by faith alone, we are not justified by faith that is alone. Real faith, genuine faith, is always followed by or evidenced by works. While Paul focuses on the reason that we are justified, in other words, that we are justified by faith, James is arguing about the genuineness of that thing that people say they have. James is giving us a way to prove it, to test it. While Paul looks at the root of salvation, James looks at the fruit of salvation. They are looking at salvation from two different perspectives. There is no contradiction. James, uh, Paul is looking at it from a theological, more of a theological point of view. James is looking at it more of a, from a practical point of view. And today's sermon is going, will focus on the practical aspect of real faith. A faith that works. That's the title of my sermon today. Faith that works. If our faith does not produce any change in behaviour, if it does not generate changes in the way you live, in the things that you do, if there is no evidence in the deeds, in your words, in your thoughts, with, if it's not consistent, your life, with what the Bible teaches, then I suggest that it may be a good time to have a look at that thing that you call faith in your life. Now, the first evidence of faith occurred or occurs when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first exercise of this thing called faith. When we trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, that is an exercise of faith. Before that, faith was really non-existent. Not from a spiritual point of view. We had faith in a lot of other things. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do in life where we have an implicit faith in something else. I have faith when I go to bed at night that the sun will rise up in the morning. So I plan for the next day. We have faith that when we drive, when we get into our cars, the engine will start. Sometimes that faith is misplaced. We have faith in a lot of things, which causes us to react in a certain way. You came here this morning believing or having faith that those doors would be open and you'd be able to, there'd be a church service on this morning. And if there was no church service on here this morning, you'd be surprised. In other words, there are, there are many things in our lives that include faith, but not necessarily a supernatural faith. The first account of supernatural faith, the godly faith, 
the spiritual faith that God speaks about in his word is when we exercise it in with respect to our Lord and our Saviour Jesus Christ. Someone who we haven't seen. Someone who we've read about in God's word, but that word has impacted us so that we have put our faith and our trust in him. But is it one step? I would say to you, no. There's actually three different elements that causes a person to put their faith in Jesus Christ. I'll outline those for you now because it's imperative to understand that before you understand why it should generate works. Initially, we learned about the gospel, didn't we? I knew about the gospel for about 10 years before I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, I knew about it up here. I knew that God had sent his son into a, a sinful world to save the world, that God loved the world. I knew that Jesus went to Calvary and he died on the cross for the sins of the world. I knew that he rose again on the third day. I knew I believed in a trinity. I believed in a lot of things that really matched up with what the Bible taught. But for 10 years, I was not born again. For 10 years, I had that knowledge in here, but nowhere else. There are many people in the world in that position. There are many people in the world who have all the knowledge that they need, but it's sitting in their mind. It just sits there. It stays there. They may know everything about Jesus. They may know more details than you or I even. But there's something missing, isn't there? It's not enough just to, just to know it and say, I believe it. I believe it occurred. I believe in Jesus, a historical figure. I believe he was the son of God. There's more to it than that. The next step involves personalising this information. It involves an emotional response to it. Not just a mental or an intellectual acknowledgement. This step involves the heart. And so when the Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the world, that, that phrase becomes Jesus died for my sins. When the scripture says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that becomes for God so loved me, that he gave his son for me. All of a sudden, something goes on. A light is triggered. And those light bulb moments. But all of a sudden, it all makes sense. And all of a sudden, this is real for me. This is not just some information that's floating around out there. This is something that pertains to me. At that stage, the information has moved from the mind to the heart. We often speak about that, don't we, as Baptists? That... That 12 inches, the difference between someone being saved and not is that 12 inches between the head, the brain and the heart. And that is the longest distance sometimes to get to. People may know a lot of information but never decide to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. We often sing in our hymns phrases such as, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear.'" You see, this 
This movement between the brain and the heart involves an emotional response. It has to. It has to affect you emotionally. You might say, well, why should it affect me emotionally? Well, guess what? If you never realised how much God loves you, and all of a sudden it dawns on you that he loved you so much that he actually died and took your place on the cross, will that not affect you emotionally? Before you, before you realised you were a sinner who was an enemy against God, and the only, your only destiny, your only place that you were, you were heading for was hell, but God in his goodness actually paid the penalty for your sin, does that not affect you emotionally? If someone was today, if I found myself bankrupt today with the bank ready to kick my family out into the street and someone gave all that they had to pay my debt so that I would not lose my house, would that not affect you and I emotionally? How would I then react to that person? Wouldn't I be in utter awe? Wouldn't I be thankful? Wouldn't I be affected emotionally? Wouldn't I possibly shed a tear? knowing that my family was not on the street anymore. Well, that's the difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. But even though the word of God may go from the head to the heart, there needs to be a third step. And you'll say, hey, hang on a sec. Surely, surely that's, that's enough to have an emotional response to this thing and, and to personalise it. Well, there needs to be a third step in the process. There needs to be a determination of the will. There needs to be a choice made. There needs to be a decision to repent of one sin and to turn to Christ and receive him as Lord and Saviour. It's at this stage, and this stage alone, where the, where the Bible says, and grace my fears relieved. How can this be? Well, let me explain to you this way. Imagine that you found out that you had an illness that would take your life shortly. You only had about two weeks to live. Fearful, isn't it? At that stage, you're fearful. You have knowledge that causes you to fear what, what will come. You then find out that there's a medicine you can take which can cure you of that illness. Fair enough? Does that relieve you a little bit? Possibly. If you can get your hands on it. You then find out... So that's the information that you have. The information that you have an illness and that there's a cure out there. That's some intellectual stuff that you've got in your mind. The next thing you find out is that you can get it. That, that was, there was a provision being made to provide you with that medicine. All of a sudden, you're joyous. You know you can get this medicine. You have hope. And you, you're thankful for the doctors who put this thing together to save you. Are your fears relieved just then? Well, then you might feel better about it. There's an emotional excitement about that thing being available to you, but there's a third step that you need to do, isn't there? You have to actually take the medicine. 
It's only when you've taken the medicine, when you've made a decision to grab the medicine, take it, acquire it to yourself, and then see what it does for you, will you then be fear-free. And this is the message of the gospel. You can have head knowledge. That knowledge may even transfer to your heart so you have an emotional response and we see a lot of emotional responses. But the real question is the will. Have you reacted or responded with the will? That's why Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You have to believe it in your heart. And the confession of through your mouth is an act of the will. That confession, to let everyone know that I've been saved by Jesus Christ, and I'm confessing that now, I believe he's the son of God, that he took my place in that cross, he shed his blood for me, and that he rose again on that, on that third day, proving who he was. That's an act of the will. Because if it's not an act of the will, you won't say anything, will you? The will is the determiner of true faith. It is the will that chooses to act and chooses to speak in response to the information that you've acquired. Thus, there are three elements that must be present and active for any decision that we make concerning the word of God. See, that was the first time we did it. That was the first act or first exercise of faith. But that was just the first step. Where we stepped from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. Where we, where we were enemies of God, citizens of this world, followers of Satan. To with one step becoming the children of God. Citizens of heaven, adopted into God's family. We then become, we step out of this world into heaven, become its citizens, and we be, then become ambassadors to this world. Our identity changes with one step. But God doesn't want us to finish with that first step. He wants us to then walk. And that's where faith, and genuine faith, persists. Because it's now your responsibility and my responsibility as we read God's word to respond. Not just to keep it up here. Not even to just emotionally respond to it in here. But to actually will and respond to that. So that my first step becomes a second step. And a third. And a fourth. And as we walk and as we grow and as we mature in the Lord, our walk becomes stronger. Our pace becomes more determined. There's no longer stumbling steps like a little baby. It's become strong steps, mature steps, steps that are grounded, that have a firm foundation. That's the difference with people who grow in the Lord and people who don't. We can spend our time, we can spend the rest of our lives and Sunday mornings acquiring information and learning. How many sermons have you and I heard in our lifetimes? How much have we responded to with the will? 
how much things have been left undone. This is the problem. Because we, the more information we acquire, the more we are responsible for. The Bible clearly teaches that he who has been given much is responsible for much. So there are three elements that we need to understand where the word of God, when it's planted, needs to, it needs to, we need to react. One is the mind. We need to agree to it intellectually. In other words, if the Bible says something, I agree with it up here. The next is the heart. It becomes part of me. I accept it for me. In other words, when I read something in the Bible, I don't automatically believe, oh, that's for everyone else. That's not for me. No, every passage, every verse in the Bible applies to who? Me. When I preach up here, I have to preach to myself first. This has to apply to me. In other words, how will it ever get to you and the third one is the will the third one is how do I respond to this now what is God asking me to do with this information if it's for me what do I do with it in everything when we, when we respond to the word of God and things of faith it involves the mind the heart and the will a Christian writer named Jim Peterson gives an interesting example. A young man meets a young woman. Okay, this is just to illustrate these, these, these three things. A young man meets a young woman. They are immediately attracted one to another. They both say to themselves, now there is someone I'd like to marry. People aren't that foolish, are they these days? No. Yes. At that point, if the emotions had their way, there'd be a wedding, wouldn't there? There'd be a union. But the intellect intervenes, questioning the impulsive emotional response. Would we be compatible? What is she really like? Can I afford to support her? Both conclude that it would be better to take some time or more time and answer a few questions before they proceed. So the two begin spending more time with each other. He eventually concludes that she is as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. Haven't we always said that about our wives and everything? Yeah. Now his intellect has sided with his emotions. So he's got two things going in the same direction now. His intellect is agreeing with the emotion. But the final and the heaviest vote remains to be cast. You might agree that she's beautiful on the inside as, as she is on the outside and that, you know, that she's, that she's lovely. But that's the will. It stops the march toward the altar with the questions, am I willing to give up my lifestyle for this person? Am I willing to commit and sacrifice myself for this person? What about my freedom? Is it worth the trade? Is it worth the rest of my life? Am I willing to assume the added responsibility that goes along with marriage? The marriage will occur only when the will finally agrees with the emotion and the intellect. And so it is when we come to Christ, and so it is when we learn something new from God's word. We have to respond with the will in order to follow, some, follow it through. 
Genuine faith results in the exercise of the will, which then produces works. If it stops here and here, nothing else gets done. And James says, that's not real faith. Real faith has to respond with the will. I can move my arm up and down. That's a response of my will. I will my arm to be raised and to be lowered. That is something I determine in my mind to do. It's the same thing with the Christian walk. What we do in our lives says a lot about what we have in here and in here. Okay? James says in verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Okay. Even the demons of hell believe there is a God. Would you agree with me? They know there's God. They know the Son of God. They know him, in a sense, even personally. They, they've experienced him. They, they've seen him in his glory. There's even an emotional response. Fear. Trembling. But they have no genuine faith. Because they have not, or probably cannot, exercise and put their faith in Christ. And trust what he did. You see, he died for the sins of the world. He didn't die for the sins of the angels. Unfortunately, our churches are full of people who have responded to the gospel in an intellectual manner or even emotionally, but have never exercised the will to appropriate the grace of God. That reservoir of love that can be received by an act of the will. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew 6 verse 27 says... Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which, is, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not... Much more clothe you, O ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. What were they doing? They were worrying about everything that was going on. Where they were going to get their next meal. What they were going to wear. Where they were going to live. It was consuming their minds. And what was Jesus teaching here? That people can trust in God's provision. If God can provide for the lilies, will he not provide for you and I? Why spend your life worrying about what you will eat or what you will wear or everything else the world worries about when God knows exactly what I need? The question remains, what will we do with this information? 
What will you do with it in a practical sense? What? Now that you've understood it, you may agree with it intellectually. You might say, yes, God provides all things for his children. Well, it makes sense. God loves his children. God cares for them. He gave his only son. You know, he says he can provide everything. God is all-powerful. There's nothing that God can't do. Okay, so intellectually, I can accept that. Emotionally, does it apply to me? Yes, it does apply to me. So what's he telling me to do? It says here that I shouldn't be worrying about the things of this world. I shouldn't be worrying or stressing about tomorrow, what I will wear, what I will eat, because God has that all under control and he knows already what I, what I need. Not what I want, necessarily, what I need. You may acquire this information intellectually and emotionally. But the test of your faith in this particular passage is how you respond to it with the will. You may determine today that you will choose to always trust in the provision of God, regardless of how circumstances around you develop. You determine that you will never worry about your needs again. That would be an act of the will, would it not? You determine that. The test of that will come when things get tough, though. And your faith and that decision of the will that you've made will be tested to see whether you were genuine or not. How will you be tested? Your test and whether you fail or not or whether that was a genuine act of the will will be determined by what you do. Next time things get tough, will you spend your time worrying about it or will you leave it in God's hands and say, Lord, I know you've asked me to be faithful, to work hard, to do all those things that a good Christian does, but the rest I will leave in your hands. That will be the test. And your test will be shown and proved by what you do in those circumstances. Genuine faith causes a person to trust in Christ. Remember we spoke about trusting in his words? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus? Just to take him at his word. So if his word tells me something, the real question is, will I trust that word? And if I say I trust that word, how have I responded to it? That's why James declares, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Genuine faith not only chooses what to believe and claim it personally, but it then must make a conscious decision of the will to act upon that information. When a believer learns some spiritual truth, they should ask themselves two important questions. The first is, do I really believe this truth applies to me? If so, if I do, then what do I do about it? James' argument is very clear. Look at verse 15 and 16. If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, mind you, naked and destitute of food, we're not talking about someone who's maybe not as as wealthy or whatever, we're talking about someone who's actually in desperate need. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, 
notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? The answer is nothing. Because you haven't obeyed and understood the first principle, that God calls us to love our brethren. And that love is never a passive thing, it's always an active thing. And if we really love, we will go out of our way to give a person who is in desperate need like that. James is simply saying that genuine faith results in actions, deeds, works. Works consistent with the teachings of our Lord. Works consistent with Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. This is where it starts. And if you don't understand that this is where your good works start between you and your brethren then you will not do works out there. Jesus taught very clearly that we are to love our neighbours as ourselves, to do good to those around us, even those who persecute us and hate us. Now that is a teaching of Christ. The question is, is it valid for you? And the next question is, if you accept it in your heart, what will you do about it? Genuine faith learns the teachings of Christ, believes them in the heart and personalises them and then determines by an act of the will that you will live them, that you will live those things, that you will make those things a reality in your life. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. We'll look at that, that great passage, that great chapter of faith. And I'd like you to notice something very important in that chapter. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll read from verse 7 to 9 and then from verse 20 to 24. Verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not, not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Go down to verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the, star, the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at verse 28. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. You notice something about all those examples of faith? They actually did something. They did something. Their faith 
was strong enough for them to take action and it was followed by works and works in such a way that they've been written down throughout history for us to look as an example. How long would this list be if if these people of faith never exercised that faith or if works never followed them? How long would this list be? There wouldn't be a list. Yet people are more than happy sitting in pews in churches to say, I believe, I believe, and then never show anything in their lives. What have you learnt? James in chapter 2 verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The teachings of scripture are clear. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me. Matthew chapter 7 verse 17 says, Now listen to Jesus' words here. This does not contradict salvation by grace through faith alone. This merely clarifies it. Look at Jesus. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The difference between genuine Christianity and false Christianity is in the doing. There are many Christians who who call themselves Christians who for their own philosophy and theology throw out parts of the Bible that don't fit. Some of our Calvinistic friends who are hyper-Calvinistic believe that God is sovereign. I haven't got a problem with God being sovereign. God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, and we absolutely have no argument. But they take it a step further. You see, if God is fully sovereign and he chooses the people, then regardless of... they, 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 Through logic and reason, they say, well, if God is choosing everyone and everyone he chooses will be saved one way or the other, therefore... It doesn't make a difference whether I'm in it or not. 
It doesn't make a difference whether I go out preaching or whether I go out witnessing. It doesn't make a difference about me with respect to them. Now tell me, are there any scripture verses you can think of that, that, that say that we are to be examples in this world, that we are to be witnesses of God's love and his grace, that we are to preach the gospel? Can you think of any verses that have to do with that? So what do you have to do with those verses if you believe that? You throw them away. That's not doing. The emphasis of Jesus here was not just in the hearing and in the believing, but in the doing. It's in the doing that the house stands and a good tree is recognised. Do we not begin this look at ourselves before we look at others? Are we doing? Is our faith genuine? Or have we failed to properly believe the word of God with our mind, our heart, and then to will. James reflects the teaching of Jesus precisely. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James says, watch out. Don't just keep taking all this information in but never do anything about it. And this leads us to the final application today. If you're unsaved, if you haven't recognised that Jesus is the saviour of the world and, have put, and you haven't put your trust in him to save you, then you haven't taken the first step and you are lost in your sin and you only have one place that you can go to when you die. There is only one thing left for you and that's to pay for your own sins. You either pay for your own sins or you allow Jesus to pay them for you. And there's only one place to pay for your own sins, and that's a place of darkness and pain. And it never ends. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour today, if you haven't accepted him, if you, if you understand him in your head, then understand this, that he came to die for you. That God loved you. And he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And the sins that he bore on that cross, the sins that caused his own father to turn away from him, were your sins and mine. But there's one more thing to do. Because if you really believe that in your heart, then there's one more thing to do. And that's to decide to put your trust in him. And I suggest you do that before you leave this place today. Because another day wasted is another day lost in eternity. And you don't have that many days, really, to count on, do you? Believe in Jesus. Trust him for your salvation. Determine in your heart today to repent of your sins and embrace him as your Lord and your Saviour. And if you don't know how to do that, if that seems like a too difficult thing to do, if you can't bow your knee... And pray, Lord, save me from my sins. I repent. I turn from them and I, I want to accept your gift of salvation. Then come and seek one of us out. I'll be happy to pray with you in that back room this morning before you go. Believers, if you're a new believer, if you're new to this thing called Christianity, or you're a Christian who regards yourself as weak, and feels like 
they struggle to maintain themselves, let alone trying to help other Christians. That you need help, that you need encouragement. Then I would suggest to you to get established in the faith and to put your faith to work. Put what you know in your head to work. Choose to do it. Determine it in your will. Exercise it by putting your faith into action with the small things first. Don't worry about the big, huge things. Start with the small things first. You might say, what, what small things are there? Well, Jesus says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So if you can handle the small things, the basics, then the, the odds are that you'll be building a found, good foundation for yourself and you'll, you'll stop from stumbling day by day. Let me give you some of these simple things, small things. Faithfulness to read God, work God's word every day. Do you do it? Have you set aside time every day to read God's word? At least 20 minutes. You need at least 20 minutes to read God's word. Put aside some quiet time. Do you do it? If you haven't done it, do you believe it? Do you believe it's necessary for you to read God's word every day? Because if you don't, you might have accepted what I've told you just now in your head. Unless you actually believe it, it's required of you to live like that, you won't take the next step and will it and say, I will set aside that time. I will put other things to the side to make time for that. I will sacrifice more so that I can read God's word daily. Will you do it? Pray on a daily basis. Prayer in the morning. Pray when you eat. Pray at night before you go to bed. Pray together with the church on Wednesday evenings, if at all possible. Have devotion times with your family. Do you believe that's necessary? If you don't believe it's necessary, if you don't agree with me right now, then it's not going to hit, hit here, it's not going to go there, and it's not going to go anywhere. The, que the real question is, do you believe what I'm actually telling you? Because if you really believe it, you will set aside time to pray. When you get up in the morning, before you the time in God's word, you will pray. And when you get to, before you go to bed at night, you will pray. If you don't believe it, well, you will leave these doors today and it will be gone from your head. Love the brethren of your church. How's that for a good one? Love your church brethren. Seek to edify them. Encourage them. Help. Look for places to help your brethren. Guess what? There's a lot of people struggling in this church. Struggling. There are things in their lives that, that, they, they, that are a huge burden upon their shoulders. You can make a difference. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can take some, just a little bit of weight off someone else's shoulders today? If you don't believe me, don't do anything about it. Stay where you are and expect other people to be bearing your load. But if you believe that you can make a difference to other people in this church, be willing and look for people with burdens and be willing to take some of it on. You can do it. God tells us to do that. His, his, his word is very clear to edify one another. Do you believe it? If you do, then take, make it for yourself. Say, this is true for me this day, Lord, and I will choose to do it. I will look for it and I will make time to do it. Serve in the church. Serve. Don't leave it to a, a small few. 
to do all the hard work, to bear all the heavy stuff. The Bible says we are to serve in the church at the first place. Be like Isaiah. Isaiah said, And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am, send me. Is that your attitude? Are you willing to say, Where do you want me, Lord? Is there a need? Send me. Let me do it. Do you believe it? If you don't, just leave here today without it. And expect others to be bearing the load. Be faithful in your attendance in church, in giving, in your standards, in love. Choose to be today an example rather than a follower. Do you believe the do you believe that the scripture verse says we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus? If you don't believe that applies to you, you will never do it. But today you have a choice. Is it true for you? And if it's true for me, say, Lord, I believe you've made me more than a conqueror. And I will choose to conquer whatever it is that comes in my way. And if it means me being at church every day and every Sunday morning without fail, I choose to do it. The Bible says, forsake not your, the assembling of, each, of yourselves. If the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves, do you believe it? Then be faithful every Sunday morning. Don't give an excuse or a foothold to the devil to give you an excuse not to go. Because every time you go, you rob God, you rob yourself. Be a diligent learner. One who does not just listen, but seeks for practical ways for how to live the gospel. We can spend our entire lives learning, can't we? Our head could be full of all types of knowledge of God's word. The Pharisees were exactly the same. The Pharisees had memorized most of God's word. Yet God called them evil, adulterous, covetous. The question is not how much information you have in your head. The question is how much of that information have you actually put into practice? Look for ways to put into practice what you learn each week in church. Keep a diary. If you come to church and someone's preaching from the front, whether it's me or Eddie or anyone else, take down a note of what God has told you that day and say, Lord, by your grace I will live this thing. I will put it into action. Make a diary. Make an action plan. Make plans to, to be successful as a Christian. People make, make plans all the time for their lives. They plan to build homes, to build careers, to do all types of things in their lives. They plan well ahead, hoping to achieve some sort of a goal. Tell me, what are your plans as a Christian? Where are your plans today? What do you see yourself doing in one year time, two Five, ten, if the Lord tarries. Do you see yourself sitting in the same chair, being the same way? What plans do you have for the Lord? If you have no plans, you won't do anything. You're not aiming for anything. Plan to be great in the kingdom of God. There is a, a thing I spoke about recently with a friend of mine. You know there are levels of hell? Did you know that Jesus said it'll be more, it was more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment day, than for the cities that rejected him and saw his miracles. Hang on a sec. More tolerable means that there are levels of hell. There are levels of punishment in hell. If that's true for hell, you know something? There are levels in heaven. 
Don't settle with the phrase, I'm happy to have a shack in heaven for the rest of eternity. Because that tells me exactly where your Christianity is. Are you happy to have a shack in eternity? Don't you want to be closer to your Lord? Don't you want to strive to be the best you can possibly be? Don't you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven? Or are all your thoughts and focuses and your goals earthly? What, is your, what are your plans for eternity? What are your plans? Because the few days we have here aren't very long and they're going to go soon. And then we have an eternity to bear the fruit of those things. Be a diligent learner. Share your faith with those around you. Share it. Let them see what a difference Christ has made to your life and what eternity really means. Seek to save the lost. Make a, a, a list if you have to. Make a list of people that need saving in your, in your family, in your friends. Make a list and pray for them every day. And then pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak to these people. Open a door for me. Give me courage and strength. I know it's not easy. But do it. Pray it. Believe it. And by the will, choose it. Out of that list that we read of all those wonderful things of faith, do you know how much pain and suffering they had to get through to accomplish those things? Aren't you willing to even endure a little bit of pain? Just a little bit to see a soul saved. Look for opportunities to share the gospel with them. Invite them to church. Get them involved. Share one little thing with them at a time if you have to. Chip away. Until finally the wall breaks down. Choose to believe Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has created works for you and I to walk in from, from the time we were saved. Are you walking in those, those works? Are you walking the life of faith? If you can start with these basic things, and they are basic, if you can get those happening, there's plenty more to do. There is plenty more to do. You see, we've only scratched the surface even with those. There is so much more to do in the kingdom of God. There are so many people going to hell, and we sometimes bicker and we worry about the little things that we don't have. Begin it today. And if you say that you believe in something, then determine that you will obey the very best of your efforts. That you will believe with all your heart and then you will will it with, with, your, um, with your soul. Believe in all your heart that by the grace of God you can do it. Let's live lives that attract the same praise and thanks expressed by Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians. Let this be said of us. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. I'd like for that to be said of me, especially when I come before his throne, that I was found faithful in the small things and in the big things. I don't want, I'm not just going to be satisfied with a shack in heaven. I want to be as close to my Lord as possible. He gave it all for me. How much can I possibly give that's going to outdo him? 
God bless you. Let's have, let's have a word of prayer before we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that you've given us free will. We thank you that we can choose today and we have the freedom to choose. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who have no free will, who were locked in a life of sin, imprisoned by Satan. And we pray that our lives would indeed be the difference that would see them released. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there are any here today who don't know you, who have not accepted Jesus as their saviour, that they would see their need of his precious salvation, that they would acquire that blood that was shed for them, that they would appropriate that blood and that they would accept the work of that blood in their lives, that they would repent of their sin, that would turn to him with all their hearts. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brethren. I pray that they would see the desperate need to live the word of God. I pray for their growth, for their maturing. I pray that as they take one step in front of the other, Lord, they would grow stronger day by day. That they would not only commit to memory the things which you have taught us, but they would, would commit it in their lives. Determined to live a life for you. Determined to obey. Determined to stand before you one day with much to show that they give back to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would strive for crowns, not for ourselves, but that one day we might cast them at the feet of Jesus and say, you did this for me. Help us to be faithful in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.